That is awesome. <laughs> you have to admit it. Mission Impossible in church. And uh, props, to, uh, props to Michael Giuliano for uh, making that when he was telling me about it. And I, t- I kind of told him, I really, I'm feeling this, you know, Mission Impossible vibe. And you know, he's like, oh, hey, yeah, I'm seeing, you know, stick figures. And we started talking and collaborating on it. And it's funny when it goes from concept to screen, it's just like when it's, yeah, it's that good. So now, if you've been in the church for any period of time, you probably know what the series is and like what the premise of it is, okay? The series is called Minority Report, okay? And and you probably know what we're talking about now because the Minority Report came from when the spies were sent out to spy out the promised land in in, in Canaan. And there were 12 spies that were sent out, one one from all the 12 tribes. We're going to get into it in our text this morning. And 10 gave a bad report and two gave a good report. And those two were what we're calling the minority report. So this isn't a movie from, you know, the early nineties for some of you, the no minority report, you know, uh, this is a minority report from the Bible. Now, as we get into this, this morning, I think it's really uh, critical for us to understand a concept of how things are connected in scripture. Um, I, I call it a correlation. It's amazing in scripture how you'll read stuff in the Old Testament and then you'll read stuff in the New Testament. You'll say, these things fit together. These things are related. There's a correlation. And it's amazing how when you study the whole of scripture, how this part affects this part, affects this part, affects this part, affects this part. And it just, there's this correlation that runs through all throughout scripture. And I hope that you can see that. Now, you know, if you've been with us this year that I'm doing a, a devotional right now that I'm actually reading the entire Bible this year. And so I'm seeing these correlations play out a lot. And, and what I want us to also think about is not only just the correlation between events and, and things that happen in Scripture and promises and those type of things, but there's also this correlation that we see right from the very beginning of Scripture about how we apply it to our lives and how it affects our lives. So let, let, me, let me tell you where I'm going with this this morning. So we are called to be a people of faith and, and every person that walks face the earth, I think, is a person of some type of faith. It's just, what do you put your faith in, right? I mean, everybody puts their faith in something. You know, you might have your faith in yourself, or you might have your faith in your bank account, or you might have your faith in, you know, something else. Maybe it's in your government, or maybe it's in the way this situation's going to work out. Maybe it's in another person. Some people put their faith in, you know, their spouse, or their best friend, or this person they put up on a pedestal. It's, it, but... We're called to be a people of faith that put our faith in God. And we know um, from, from the Bible's own description of this in Hebrews 11.1 1, that faith means being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And so we understand there's this faith factor that has nothing to do with sight and vision and what we can see, but it's actually the unseen things. And God calls us to be a people of faith. And when you're a person of faith, it affects, it correlates to something else. It correlates to who you put your trust in. You see, we have faith, and faith affects trust. Do I trust God? Do I trust his promises? Do I trust his word? Do I trust who he is? Is he really who he says he is? There's faith that affects trust. And then depending on where you put your trust in life, it also correlates and affects hope. Because if the, if the person or, 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 or the, the thing or, or maybe it's the God of the universe where it should be, you put your faith in, affects where you trust in life and also affects where you hope. It affects your outlook on life. It affects where you're going to put your hope and who are you going to hope in. And then that, and then this, this is something that will blow your mind, but you'll see it hopefully in the scripture today. Then that actually affects your obedience. 
So there's, there's this correlation that runs between all of it. Faith correlates and, and, and becomes actionable in trust. And trust affects your hope. And whatever you put your hope in affects what you're going to obey. And are you going to obey the one that you have faith and trust and hope in? And, and, and you'll see it as we get into minority reports. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Numbers chapter 13. Numbers chapter 13 in the Old Testament. So toward the beginning, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, fourth book of the Bible. We're going to be in Numbers 13. Now we're going to be there primarily today. Um, We are going to look at a passage in Deuteronomy. So if you have a a good old-fashioned Bible like I have, you'll kind of have that uh, be ready. We're going to be flipping a little bit. If you're in the app this morning, all the verses and all the scriptures are there for you, and you can get on with your phone or your tablet. We encourage that. But we want you to engage the Word of God. Okay, we want you to read it for yourself, follow along. Sometimes something, a word's going to pop out and you're going to want to underline it or go study it this week. And so maybe you're a note taker. I love note takers. I'm a note taker. I'm, I'm a, attending a, a conference online this week. I'll be taking like probably 15 pages of notes. Um, so just engage the text so you can maximize what God wants to do in your life this morning, okay? Engage it in some way. Read it, have it in your hand, the Bible, your phone, something. Numbers chapter 13. Now, just to give you a little bit of background, okay? This is the Israelites, the God's chosen people. They've been, what, before this time, they were enslaved in Egypt, right? They had the Exodus, which is what the book of Exodus is about. And they were exodused from Egypt for what? They, they escaped and, and they exited Egypt for what? They, they were given, God says, I'm going to not just send you out into the world and figure it out on your own. He says, hey, I've got a promised land for you. I have a place a specific place that you're going to inherit. This goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 12 with Father Abraham when I said there's a land and a people. I mean, this, this promise has been building and building for generations now, and now it's going to come into fruition. In Moses' own lifetime, in the Israelites' own lifetime, we're going to get to go to this promised land. And that's where we pick up our story today. Numbers chapter 13, where we, we're going to begin there with verses 1 and 2. The Lord himself said to Moses, send some, man, send, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. So pay attention as we read here, just some statements that are just kind of like very matter of fact, okay? It's matter of fact, okay? It's send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. Just fact, I'm giving them to the Israelites. I'm God, I can do that. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders, Okay, this is where we get to the spies part. They're going to go spy out the land of Canaan. And if you just read Numbers 13, and you don't look at any cross-references, and you don't read how any of the other books, what I was talking about earlier, how they correlate, and how you can get you know, more information here and more information here, then you just say, okay, you know, the Lord said to Moses to go do this, but there's actually a little bit, there actually is a little bit more to this story. It's found in Deuteronomy chapter 1. So if you're in Numbers 13, just turn over a few pages to uh, the next book in chapter 1, Deuteronomy chapter 1. Now, I think in the notes and like the app and everything this morning, it starts at Deuteronomy 1.21. I'm actually going to go back to 19 to just lay some more contextualization here for us because there's something in there that I I really want you to hear too. So uh, Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 19, and this is kind of more information and a commentary on what's just happened in Numbers 13, verses 1 and 2. It says this, Then as the Lord our God commanded us, And Deuteronomy is written by Moses, so from from his window, from his perspective here. Then as the Lord our God commanded us, 
We set out from Horeb and went toward the hill country of the Amorites through all the vast and dreadful wilderness that you have seen. And so we reached Kadesh Barnea. I want you to hang on to that place in your mind because it's going to come in later. Kadesh Barnea. Verse 20. Then I said to you, you have reached the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving us. See, the Lord your God has given you the land. Okay? So again, just, just matter of fact statements, right? See, the Lord has God has given us this land. Matter of fact, we've got it. The, so verse 21. See, the Lord your God has given you the land. Go up and take possession of it as the Lord... The God of your ancestors told you, and do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. Okay, so you're going to go up, you're going to take the promised land. Hey, you're going to encounter some things here. Do not, do not be afraid. Don't let fear speak into your life. Don't let fear steer you in some direction here. And do not be discouraged. Be encouraged. The Lord, the God of the universe that created the world, the same God that in the book of Job said, hey, where were you when I created the world? That's how powerful and strong I am. Nobody can refute that. I means God is amazing. He's all powerful. This is the same God that led them out of Egypt. I mean, he's shown them miracles. He's shown them miraculous signs. He's been a God who has kept his promises all the way through. And so it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's written matter of fact because it is. Hey, I'm giving you this land. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Verse 22. Then all of you came to me and said, um, let us send men ahead to spy out the land for us. And bring back a report about the uh, route. Yes, it's about the route. It's about the route that we're to take and the towns that we'll come to. Because we've got to have a strategy on how we're going to take the land, right? So God says he's given it to us. We're going to send spies to the land. They're just going to find a route. That's what this is really all about. And verse 22 says, the idea seemed good to me. So I selected 12 of you, one man from each tribe. So you know the 12 tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. Okay, now let's go back to our text. In Numbers chapter 13. So, so this is what we have. We, we read the original text here and it seems like God said to do it. It was a good idea. But when we read Deuteronomy chapter 1 there, we find out, oh, there's a little bit more to it. God just said, hey, go and possess the land. And they said, they said oh, uh, you know, uh, we, should, we should go scope it out. And um, when we scope it out, we're just going to make sure, uh, we're just making sure there's a, that we take a good route and we've got a, got a game plan. And, and that sounded good. It says, so, okay, we get approval from God. We get approval from, from Moses. God, it was in his allowable will for him to do that. And so, you know, don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. It's about the route. Okay, now let's read in Numbers 13. And if you, if you look at the next part of Numbers 13, it, it lists uh, who went, all the spies. It lists their name, what tribe they were from. So there's your, there's your 12, you know, your 12 spies. We'll get down to verse 17. It says, when Moses sent them to explore Canaan, that is the promised land, that's the name of it. When Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, go up through the Negev and on into the hill country and see what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. We're just finding a route. Okay, just, just wait. Okay, verse 19. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? Well, didn't God promise that it was good? And it, well, okay. Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or are they fortified? How's the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of this land. And it was the season for the first ripe grape, so it was a good time to go. And so they went up 
And they explored the land from the desert of Zin as far as Rehob toward Lebo Hamath. And they went up from the Negev and came to Hebron where Ahaman and Shishmai and Talmai and the descendants of Anak lived. Now Hebron had been built seven years before Zon in Egypt. Verse 23. When they reached the valley of Eshkol, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them carried it on a pole between them. Can you imagine how heavy this cluster was? Two of them carried it on a pole between them along with some pomegranates and figs. That place was called the Valley of Eshkol because of the cluster of grapes the Israelites cut off there. And at the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. So these spies are sent off into the land, and they're sent off in for 40 days, and they, they scope out the land, and they've cut some fruit, and they've done all that Moses has kind of asked them, and they've scoped out. And then in verse 25, it says, at the end of 40 days, they return home, and then they're going to give a report. Now look how they do this in verse 26. They came back to Moses and to Aaron and to the whole Israelite community, all of them at Kadesh. There's that word we'd read in Deuteronomy, Kadesh Barnea, Kadesh. It's the same place in the desert of Paran. And there they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. And they gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us and it and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. Wow. Right? It's a land flowing with milk and honey, which means it's fertile. Here's its fruit. We got a cluster of grapes here. It takes two men. It, it's, this place is awesome. I hope there's not a but. Verse 28. But the people who live there are powerful. So what? And, and the cities are fortified and very large. Where are they going with this? We even saw the descendants of Anak there. You know, big, strong people. And the Amalekites, they live in the Negev, and the Hittites, and the Jebusites, and the Amorites. They live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. And then Caleb, part of the minority report. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses. Can you, can you know why he had to silence the people? Because the murmur had started. You know, hey, look at this land flowing with milk and honey, and I'm sure the crowd, you know, because the whole Israelite community was there, it says. And I'm sure they were like, yes, yeah, woo, woo, we're excited, we're excited, you know. And, and then they come out with verse 28. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. And there's, oh, did you hear that? He said that the fortified cities and the people are very large there. And, you know, and, and then there's, you know, it was exuberant joy, and now it's kind of like, well, yeah, you know. And, and then they go on. We, we even saw the descendants of Enoch there. Oh, man. You don't want to mess with those people. Those, those, man, those people are, you know, really, uh, you know. And the Amalekites live in the Negev, and the Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites, Canaanites, bunch of ites in the land. It's like, whoa, man, you know, the people are, you know, kind of started to bust. And then Caleb, in verse 30, and Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up. We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. Where was he speaking from? This place of faith, right? It's the promised land. God says he gave it to us. He told us to just go take it. We decided we're going to go route. Verse 31. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread amongst the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. And they said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. 
the descendants of Enoch, come from the Nephilim, duh. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we looked the same to them. But you forgot something. How did you look in God's eyes? There's so much we can take out of this, this story today in this passage. And the first thing is this. First of all, I want you to understand this. Sending spies out in the first place was the fruit of their mistrust in God's promise and provision. I really believe that. Them sending out spies in the first place was the fruit of their mistrust in God's promise and provision. Do you remember what we read? We're going to send out spies so we know which route to go. It wasn't a question at that point. Hey, you know, we're not sure the promised land, you know, and, and they were doubting God a little bit because they were like, hey, bring back some fruit. We've got to make sure it's good enough for us. You know, I know God promised it and all that, but hey, let's see if the land's flowing with milk and honey, right? And they bring it back and they're like, yeah, okay. And again, are we trusting God or are we trusting man? Are we going to put our faith in God or are we going to just put our faith in the things that we can see? And if we put our faith in just the things that we can see, are we really walking with God? And are we really, how do these things correlate again? This correlation, do we have faith in God? And then do we trust in God and his report? And then do we put our hope in him or in our, our own plan and our own ideas? And, and then do we walk out obedience? Sending out the spies was a mistrust in God's promise and provision. This land was promised to them from the time they were enslaved in Egypt. The God of the universe, and it's referenced here, that brought you out of Egypt, that delivered you, that brought you across the Red Sea obstacle. Remember? Red Sea, parts the Red Sea, Moses. They walk across on dry land. The Egyptians come to chase them down. The waters cave in, kill the Egyptians. I mean, this God says, hey, I'm not just leading you away from Egypt. I'm leading you to something. It's not just away from something. I'm actually leading you to something. It's the promised land. This promised land from back in Genesis 12. Remember Abraham going to the land I will show you and I will make you into a great nation, that promise that God made, he's making good on it here and now. Had a few detours here, but here we are. We're ready to go. But they didn't take God at his word that the land was good, that it would be really good for them, and that he would, without fail, give them possession of that land. Do you remember even when they were wandering to this point, do you remember? This is the same God that led them a pillar of fire by night, a cloud by day, that God. And when they had nothing to eat, what did God provide for them? Manna, food from heaven. Every morning when they woke up, they were provided for by God. Manna all over the ground. They gathered it, they eat it that day. Don't save it, it'll spoil. I'll provide tomorrow as well. And every day, this God says, I'm gonna give you the promised land and you've gotta check up to make sure he's making good on his promises. Think about this. How absurd is it for them to send spies and spy out the land which God had spied out? Does he have a better perspective maybe than boots on the ground? 
to figure out a way into it when God would have just told you to just go take it? But we've got to apply this to our lives as well. How many times does it happen to us? We ruin ourselves, just like the Israelites do here, by giving more credit and credence to reports and representations of man than the divine commands and understanding of Almighty God. And sending out the spies in the first place was the fruit of this mistrust, this lack of faith in God's promise and his provision. Second thing this morning, when you fix your attention on the obstacles rather than God's objective, fear will eclipse your faith. If you focus on and you put all your attention on these obstacles rather than the objective that God has given you, fear will eclipse your faith. This applies to all areas of our life. Think about it. I don't have enough money to tithe. Do you trust in God's provision? I don't have enough time to give to ministry. I mean, you just don't understand how hooked up I am. I've got this and I've got this, and I just don't have enough time to be involved and to be serving the Lord in some capacity. I just, I just don't have the time. Some of us will be like, they'll never change. I don't want to spend any more time praying. This situation's hopeless. I mean, if you knew them like I knew them, I mean, they're, just, they're, they're not, they're not going to change. Nothing in this circumstance or in this situation is going to get better. And we focus so many times on the obstacles rather than God's objective. And when we do that, fear will eclipse our faith. And what did it say in our text today? Be encouraged. Do not be afraid. And they remember that when they were originally going in here, the objective was to get a strategy about how to do it, not to determine if they were going to do it. And yet, because they didn't trust God fully, even in the how it was going to be done, then it backs them even further away to the if we can even do it in the first place. And everything in the land was exactly how God told them it would be. They knew it was a blessed place. They knew they had fruit and, and a land flowing with milk and honey and that the ground was fertile for crops and that this was going to be a great place to live. Everything was exactly how God had told them that it would be. But sometimes we don't use our faith. Sometimes we don't use our spiritual sight that is fixed on the word of God. We begin using our natural sight, which is only fixed on what is in front of you. And you are not walking in faith. And if you focus only on the difficulties and the dangers, you'll never take those risks in life that God has called you to, that evidences true faith in him. That actually gives you the opportunity to exercise true faith. And you'll never be that person that's fully alive through this faith. And I'll be honest with you, when you get to the higher levels, there are bigger devils. But yet we are called by God to put our faith in him, which affects our trust, which affects where we put our hope, which affects our obedience to him.
The third thing, the last thing this morning. When you compare what you lack to what others possess, intimidation will replace confidence. When you compare what you lack to what others possess, intimidation will replace confidence. Do you remember what they were saying in verse 33? Uh, really, all throughout the passage, these people are big. And what do they say in verse 33? We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Enoch, come from the Nephilim, the, the, the Nephilim, and we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we look the same to them, I'm sure. They're looking at us like grasshoppers. And yet, that was only in their own eyes. I wonder how God saw them. I don't think they were grasshoppers in God's sight. No, they were the chosen people of God Almighty, the God of the universe. They were only grasshoppers in their own sight because they were not walking by faith. They were only walking by sight. And when we do that, to that extent, we leave the limitless realm of the supernatural God and we return to this limited realm of natural man. We leave, this, we leave this limitless realm, don't put God in a box, this limitless realm of the supernatural God, and we return into this limited realm of natural man. Because we're looking at what others possess and what we don't. And we get intimidated. It affects our confidence. And we start walking out in fear. And sometimes I think as the Israelites are wanting to go into this battle, they many times like us may feel the same, the same tension. The same issues. God, this is a big deal. And if you're not in it, it's going to fail. But I would present this to you. That God loves uneven battles because he gets all the glory. He loves uneven battles. Bring him some big obstacles so that when you walk away, you can't say, look what I did or look what we did. You have to say, oh, wow, look what God did. And maybe all this commentary from the spies that were giving the bad report the 10 that were giving the negative report here, maybe God was wanting to show himself as even bigger and saying, bring it on. Bring on all the obstacles. Bring on all your fear and your anxiety and all of your doubts. This is the promised land, and I promise you, you're going to possess it someday. I want to end this morning by jumping ahead some 40 years later. So if you're in Numbers 13, just stay in Numbers and turn to Numbers chapter 32. It's just a few chapters over. In Numbers 32, we're going to pick up about verse 6. Let's see what happens. Numbers 32, verse 6 says, Moses said to the Gadites and the Reubenites, Should your fellow Israelites go to war while you sit here? Why do you discourage the Israelites from crossing over into the land the Lord has 
given them. What? You were just here, weren't we? Verse 8, this is what your fathers did when I sent them from Kadesh Barnea to look over the land. They're back at Kadesh Barnea again? What happened? Let's read. Verse 9, after they went up from the valley of Eshcol and viewed the land, they discouraged the Israelites from entering the land that the Lord had given them. And the Lord's anger was aroused that day, and he swore this oath. Because they have not followed me wholeheartedly, not one of those who are 20 years old or more, when they came up out of Egypt, will see the land I promised on oath to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, to Isaac and to Jacob, not one except for Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the, Ken, the Kenizzite, and Joshua, son of Nun, for they followed the Lord wholeheartedly, the two, the minority report. And the Lord's anger burned against Israel, and he made them wander in the wilderness for 40 years. That's what happened at Kadesh Barnea before. And he's reminding them here, 40 years later, they're at the same spot, overlooking the land, ready to enter the land. They're at Kadesh Barnea again. And the Lord's anger burned against Israel back then. And he made them wander in the wilderness for 40 years until the whole generation of those who had done evil in the sight, till they were gone, till they were wiped out. And look what it says in verse 14. And here you are. And he's, he's a little ticked, okay? So the next line is, you brood of sinners. He's had enough. But he says, and here you are, you brood of sinners, standing in the place of your fathers and making the Lord even more angry with Israel. Why? Because you're not having faith that's affected your trust, that's affected your hope, that's affected your obedience to go into this promised land. You're going to have the land someday. I promised it. I'll make it good on my promises. Are you going to choose to put your faith in me and trust in me and hope in me and obey what I tell you to do? Verse 15, if you turn away from following him, he will again leave all this people in the wilderness and you will be the cause of their destruction. And you wonder when you get to this point, how much more does God have to do how much longer do they have to wait to go into the promised land? And after 40 years of wondering, because they had their own doubts the first time, what are they going to do now? And it happens at this place, weird name, Kadesh Barnea. That's where they were going to go into the promised land before. Now they've wandered around and they've been disciplined and now they're back. They're back at Kadesh Barnea. They're back at the crossroads. Kadesh Barnea is this place of decision. Do I go God's way or do I go my own way? They're at the place of reckoning. And I wonder how many of us have been or maybe even today, are at our Kadesh Barnea. You've been there before. And at some point in your life, you said, yes, I'm going to choose Christ. I'm going to put my faith in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. I'm going to trust he is who he says he is. I'm going to trust that he can do all he's promised to do, even to eternal life that is only found in Jesus, the only way. 
And yet, we keep coming back to Kadesh Barnea. God has called us to do something and we haven't done it. We didn't go in faith. We didn't trust him. We tried to hope in something else, something maybe that we could control in life, but we sure didn't obey him. And we get to this crossroads, this place of reckoning again. And I wonder for us, when are we going to say, yes, God, I choose you. I choose your way, even when it doesn't make sense. I choose your way, even when there's giants in the land. Yeah, little David with his sling. We've been here before. Saul didn't take out Goliath. His best warriors didn't take out Goliath. It was little David, little shepherd boy with a sling. They tried to armor him up, if you remember the story, right? And it was too heavy. He couldn't even move. He's like, you know, take this off. I'll just go with the sling. I'll just trust God. Okay. Sling, stones, takes out a giant. Little shepherd boy. How? How'd that work? Faith. Trust. Hope and obedience, they all fit together. And as you are maybe at your Kadesh Barnea this morning, you're at the precipice of this objective that God has given you. Are you going to choose to walk in his ways and trust in him and do what you know the Lord is calling you to do? Or do you want to go wander for 40 years? Because I think that's where some people are. For some of you, this may be your first Kadesh Barnea, and you get to make the choice. I give my life to Christ or I don't. But probably for more of us in this room, this is our second or our third or our fourth or our fifth trip to this crossroads that intersects and say, do I really trust God? Am I really willing to do what he's called me to do and to answer it in faith? And for some of you, it may be simple obedience like tithing. It seems so simple, 10%. For some of you, it's, it's standing up for something that God has convicted you. It may be something in your workplace. For some of you, it's trusting God's future for your kids, where you're going to send them to college. And for some of you, it's something in your family dynamic, your relationships. You've been putting your faith in your spouse. You've been putting your faith in your bank account or your 401K. And God says, no, 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 put your faith in me. Don't hope in those things. Don't trust in those things. But put your faith in me.